welcome to another magical Saturday stream. I am, of course, your host, Joe Magician. And last week we talked a bit about a particular member of House Strong and his exploits and how he seemed to get involved with the dragons and he ended up getting punished for it. And it was like almost like divine retribution. That is, of course, Arwen Strong during the Dance of the Dragons. There's another member of House Strong that did almost the same thing, except things to apparently have worked out way better for her. And that is, of course, the Enigma the Witch Queen of Harrenhal, Alice Rivers, a fan favorite from Fire and Blood, to say the least. We're going to talk all about Alice Rivers, her backstory, where she'll fit into House of the Dragon. Is she really magical? What happened to her at the end of Fire and Blood? Where is she maybe around today? And all sorts of other stuff. It's, there's a lot of good stuff to really get onto there with Alice Rivers. Very intriguing character. One that I imagine George had a lot, a lot of fun writing. It seems like he just kind of went wild with her. Before we get to that, a few things that came out. Obviously, chapter two, I talked about this last week of the Dying of the Light read-through, is available on my Patreon. It was done with Aziz of History of Westeros. Chapter two is free for anybody. You can Anybody can go listen to it. The rest of them are behind. The rest of them you have to be a patron for, but you can... Let me just drop that link in the chat. I'll put it in the description too. Just a preview of the series, what Dying of the Light is like. Me and Aziz just having a real good time. Stuff about the Thousand Worlds, George's sci-fi universe. There's a lot of connections to A Song of Ice and Fire. Mysteries of why Dirk Talarian's on Warlorn. Rhaegar makes a surprising introduction into the story along with Varys and Viserys and Theon, maybe Tormund. It's really fascinating seeing how he writes these old stories and how they have uh, carried through to the ones that we know and love. So if you want to check that out, link there in the chat. I'll put it in the description too. And chapter three will be coming out as soon as the stream ends. They're going to be more spaced out in the future so that like one will come out halfway through the month and the other half will come out at the end of the month. Next month, of course, will be with Maester Mary of the Learned Hands podcast. She's making her reappearance on the Joe Magician content stuff, I guess. I guess that's what you would call it. She's a big fan of Dying of the Light and George's old work. So we're going to be doing chapters four and five for August. So look forward to those things. For chapter three, what's going on there? Well, we get the history of High Cavalar. We get a lot about Yon, Vickery, High Iron Jade, the Sinister Braiths. Arc in the Choker, <clears throat> and kind of exactly how close Dirk has been to death so far. Spoiler alert, a lot closer than he thinks. And also, George reveals his hand in a very unusual way and tells us the truth behind his fictional myths and legends, which obviously gets Aziz and I all worked up in excitement. So if that sounds int intriguing to you, head on over to my Patreon, Chapter 2, as a free sample for you guys. So go ahead and check that out. And for today's stream, what are we doing today? Oh, yeah. So 100, slam that like button if you could. Uh, leave comments and all the other things, share it around. These all help with trying to navigate the extremely hungry and unpredictable YouTube algorithm. Um, so you guys slam the likes up to 150, which I hope you will. Uh, I'll put on my Gurmy hat, 200 likes. We'll put on the big old wizard hat sitting behind me for the rest of the stream. And as for what should you put in the comments? Hmm. What should be in the comments? Ah, yes. Here's a good one. Who is the best member of House Strong and why is it all of them? Basically, just talk about House Strong. That's what I would appreciate because this is secretly, even though it's Alice Rivers, a House Strong stream. <laughs> 
I am keeping the keeping the house strong train going. I the, I might just do this for a few weeks and we just roll through house house strong's role in the dance of the dragons. Maybe circle around to Lucamora another time. That kind of thing. But yeah, house strong stream. Woo! What about a song for Leah? I have read a song for Leah. That's a pretty short story though. Maybe in the future, maybe some analysis on it or something like that. I actually got so excited reading through Dying of the Light and seeing kind of baby George in action and how that book connects to his later books that I went ahead and I ordered a whole bunch of the rest of his short story collections, his other books like Armageddon Rag, uh, Hunter's Run, which he wrote with Gardner Dzois and Daniel Abraham, the co-author of The Expanse, Windhaven, which he wrote with Lisa Tuttle, who features in Dying of the Light, wink, 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 along with some other stuff. So haven't I already done streams on Duncan at all? I think I've done like two on him at this point. So I think we'll wait before uh, Dunk comes back up unless I make a video about him, which might end up happening. Yeah, I thought we would start here with an opening quote about Alice. I feel like this one really sets the scene for her and I think is meant to tantalize the, the reader as George plans to release Fire and Blood Volume 2 at some point. Who knows when that's going to be? The order of what he's currently writing tends to change a lot. But this is towards the end of her story and the end of Fire and Blood. And it's a fascinating one. And I really... This is the kind of thing that Song of Ice and Fire nerds are, get really excited about. So, quote here is, Vagar, older and much the larger, was also slower, made ponderous by her very size, and ascended more gradually in ever-widening circles that took her and her rider out over the waters of the god's eye. The hour was late, the sun was close to setting, and the lake was calm, its surface glimmering like a sheet of beaten copper. Up and up she soared, searching for Karapsi. Karaxis, not Karapskis. Sandrix is very upset. As Alice Rivers watched from atop the King's Pyre Tower in Heron Hall below. Mmm. A lot of interesting stuff that's going on there. Alice on top of the King's Pyre Tower watching the dragons dance. Her hair streaming behind her with pregnant with Eamon's child. A lot of stuff going on there. A lot of interesting things. Kind of thing that makes you excited about a character. At least it does for me. And it kind of came out of nowhere. But yeah, let's talk about where Alice Rivers kind of came out of nowhere because she does. She does come out really out of nowhere in Fire and Blood, and she's actually not present for roughly half of the Dance of the Dragons. Not present. And then all of a sudden is very present, is all over the place. So Alice Rivers starts off the story as a member of the House Strong household at Harrenhal, and she is not a peasant, but a lord's daughter somewhere along the line. Now, why is that? Well, because she holds the name Rivers. A misconception, I think, among fans is that bastard names are given to any bastard in Westeros, but that is incorrect. A child needs to have an acknowledged noble parent for them to be, quote unquote, worthy of a bastard name. Like, for instance, Duncan the Tall is not Duncan Waters like he should be if he was a bastard as a bastard child from the Crownlands. Peasants didn't really get last names. They would often use, for example, their father's their father's name as their last name, a tradition that persists even in the real world to the present day, although not exactly. So names like Robertson and Anderson are examples of this. They mean son of Robert, son of Anders, that kind of thing. It's also uh, carried over from Viking culture. They do that kind of thing. So Larson is son of Lars, all those sorts of names. That's basically what they mean. And that's what essentially what happens to peasants in A Song of Ice and Fire. But that's not Alice Rivers. Alice has a bastard name. She is an acknowledged child of some noble. Why we don't know? Well, we're going to get to that. Uh, the first thing we learn about Alice is that she is an enigma, a character that despite being a Rivers has very, very uncertain lineage. Uh, the Watsonian reason 
is that House Strong went extinct relatively quickly after appearance in the story. Very curious how that happened. And we're not a particularly powerful historical house with an important cultural center around them where such histories are recorded. And almost all the household died out as well. So if you think about in universe, who would be the one writing the story about where Alice Rivers comes from? Well, there's not a lot of people left. So they only have very limited information about Alice Rivers, whereas if How Strong had continued and the and they had not all been killed by Eamon One-Eye, spoiler alert, then it's quite possible we would know exactly who her parents were. But the Doyle's perspective is why does George do this? Because he wants you, the reader, to look at her with an eye of suspicion, an eye of mystery, that there's something strange about her, that her she's shrouded in the past. There's uh, things you don't know about her, and maybe there's a tinge of the supernatural around her that there's there's something different about Alice Rivers, something to pay attention to. So when you see that kind of stuff from George, you should go like, oh, okay. so I'm going to go ahead and really reread these things quite a lot because there there's a reason for the mystery being introduced. So with that in mind, what do we know about Alice Rivers? The answer is not much. Uh, There's conflicting accounts of who she even is in Fire and Blood. She's described as a dark haired, dark haired beauty at around 40 years old, but She also has kind of this ageless appearance to her. Very often she's described as being much older than her appearance lets on, which is a little strange. According to one history, she's the bastard daughter of the previously mentioned Lord Lionel Strong, who, according to the story in his youth, had an affair with a member of the Heron Hall household. And there you get Alice Rivers. Um, And this seems to track as maybe a possibility. Lionel is known to have four children with his three wives. Lords, unfortunately, often take advantage of their position of being basically absolute rulers in their domain and sleep with the, the, the help and the people and the peasants around them. So and as we know, with the strong being deserving of horny jail and a good bonking is basically a genetic trait. So that would that would seem to track. Interesting note that would make her sister to both Harwin and Lair Strong as long as there was as well as their two sisters. But another account is very different. And this is that she's maybe Lionel's sister or perhaps even older than that. Now, the, the story goes that Alice Rivers was a prodigious wet nurse for House Strong at Harrenhal that basically every baby born in the castle was nursed by Alice over the years. And instead of being the sister to Harwin and Laris, that she was instead their aunts or like half aunts or something like that. But then it goes even further that maybe Alice was the wet nurse to Lionel Strong, that maybe she's even older than the Lord himself. And this is where it kind of starts getting into old Nan territory. This is the sort of thing we hear about her up in Winterfell, where Everyone's like, I don't really know where she came from. Nobody's sure which lords she she even served, which ones she nursed, that kind of thing. It's the same thing here with Alice. Again, with the idea that there's a real mystery about her upbringing and which side of the family she comes from. Again, George is saying, like, look, she's like a little bit like old Nan. So that's another connection to like to the old gods, to kind of legend and magic, that kind of stuff. These things being sprinkled in. But that would be like impossible, right? If she was actually the wet nurse to Lionel Strong, that would put her somewhere in her 60s or even older. And that's kind of where we start getting the the talk of the witchiness and the dark magic nature of Alice Rivers. Munkin and Eustace in Fire and Blood both insist that Alice Rivers was an enchantress, a woods witch, a practitioner of the dark arts. We got a great quote here from Fire and Blood that kind of 
just sets this up. Who was this woman? A serving wench who dabbled in poison and spells, says Munkin. A woods witch claimed Septon Eustace. A malign enchantress who you bathed in the blood of virgins to preserve her youth. Mushroom would have us believe. Now, if that sounds familiar, it really, really should. This is not the first time in A Song of Ice and Fire we have heard about these kind of things. This is the exact same stories we get about Mad Donnell Lofton decades later when she did her whole bloody Countess of Hall thing that she was said to send out bats to capture the young and the virgins to bathe in their blood to remain young. And this is a relatively common tale that we are told about powerful and sometimes magical women within Westeros. For instance, Daenerys is rumored to do this by the Yunkai. It's referenced as an insult against her, and she actually brings it up a few times as like a dark joke. She's like, oh, I get ready for battle. We better bathe me in blood to get ready for it. That kind of thing. We also hear this about Shi'ar Seastar, Rohane Weber are all rumored to be one of these dark witch characters that bathe in blood, which is not to say that it never happened, like that nobody ever tried to bathe in blood to make themselves young. That's like a thing that happened in the real world. You guys in the chat are talking about it. Uh, yes, there was a real bloody countess that supposedly did this. So that's what George is drawing on. But he also applied the story to a lot of different characters across a lot of different time frames, which tells you that it's not just a weird story about one person, that this is kind of a cultural thing, that witches and magical women for some reason are really involved with like blood magic and trying to stay young or at least that's a perception and considering that valerians believe that all magic is rooted in blood and fire then you know maybe it's not that far off the idea that if somebody is magical they are involved with blood magic yeah that's that seems kind of right especially with the old gods they were well known to um have sacrifices, human sacrifices to them. So that may be where it's coming from. But the only person that we know in A Song of Ice and Fire that is called a witch and probably is close to it by any measure of her magic use is Melisandre. Melisandre, they call her the Red Witch. She does legitimately have magic powers. Oh yeah, this is also like a form of blood libel, which is not a thing we're going to get into, but it's a, it is a thing you can Google in your own time. The connections to Melisandre, though, is very interesting because Melisandre is a character who is far older than she appears, though she uses a glamour, the ruby around her neck, basically allows her to appear much more young and beautiful than she really is. That was revealed in Game of Thrones, but it's been widely speculated in the fandom that this is probably true, that Melisandre is far, far, far older than she appears. So the question is about Alice Rivers. Is she like Melisandre? Is if she's as old as Mushroom claims, maybe she's wearing a magical disguise. Maybe she's wearing a glamour. And this is something that's hinted at perhaps a little bit later in Fire and Blood, which we'll get to. There's a there's a lot of references to other characters around Alice Rivers, which is very, very interesting. Oh, and then, of course, Alice gets another layer of the witch treatment. Supposedly, Alice could not have any children of her own, despite apparently trying quite often. Every single child would be born stillborn. The magical implication is that she was, I guess, killing her children to stay young, or it's like a curse from the gods or something like that. I don't really know. It sort of it goes into these stories about her. However, the other side of that is that, as I said, she is the MVP, apparently, of breastfeeding. She, As I said, she was the wet nurse to basically every child at Heron Hall during her life. Side note, this is a way for George to perhaps infer 
that everyone from these two generations at, at Harrenhal were nursed by this magical woman. And given her connection to like dark arts and magic, I mean, this adds a bit of magical wonder to the reader about everyone who came out of the castle, including Lionel, Laris, Harwin. Were they so successful and special in their abilities? Like Lionel was not only a giant, strong fighter, but also apparently a near genius. Laris as well. Harwin, just this enormous guy. Is it is that how they naturally were? Or is the suggestion that maybe they were like weapons of the gods, weapons of magic, which came from being breastfed by Alice? Of course, there's like that's not a real thing, but it's a magical world. So the rules are different. And it's definitely a suggestion that there's something strange about like the curse of Harrenhal and the Strongs. And Alice kind of feeds into that. And it goes both ways. She reflects on them and they reflect on her. So that's something to keep in mind. We got another quote here about Alice where it says, was she in truth a witch who lay with demons bringing forward dead children as payment for the knowledge they gave her? Again, the implication there is that she would, her children were not stillborn. She essentially traded them in a devil's pact for power. Or was she a simple minded, simple minded slattern as used believes. Good question, George. We are given positive and negative examples of this phenomenon. <clears throat> Sometimes, yes, characters with no magical abilities, but those that stray outside their societal norms are incorrectly labeled witches as sort of a form of misogyny, especially those who use the fear created by their reputation as armor, like we see with Rohane Weber and very likely Danelle Lawson. I don't think anyone really thinks that she skin changed a bunch of bats who went out and grabbed children that she bathed in her blood, but she may have encouraged the story because it made her intimidating. And um, that's kind of what we see about Rohane Weber. Did she actually kill her husbands? No, but she lets the Red Widow thing happen because <clears throat> it helps her intimidate those around her. Yeah, the Holy Grail. <laughs> oh my God. Isabel Lomago asks about shadow babies. Oh, shadow babes are coming up. They are definitely coming up. Now, George has a weird thing where he talks about breast milk a lot in the kind of weird places. This is like the ultimate example of it, where Alice's magical nature in the breastfeeding going onto the Strongs is like, I don't know if it's meant to be true, but it's certainly suggestive. So, yeah. But on the other side of that, we do know there are actually magical women like Melisandre who are accused of being witches, but then kind of are who may not bathe in the blood of children, but she is a magical being who will burn children for favor of her God and power. You know, as I said, the Valyrians believe that all magic is rooted in fire and blood. Well, Melisandre's going the fire route, but there's no reason it wouldn't be the other way for, for blood sacrifices. And we know that uh, followers of the old gods do that. That is a thing. So not that it's not that um, uncertain in universe. It seems like really over the top, but also kind of rooted in something. It kind of goes both ways. Some family business here, though, to keep track of with the Strongs. And it's the idea that Alice, despite being a bastard member of the family, does not seem to be treated super well by the rest of the Strongs. I mean, she's her job at the castle is to be wet nurse, not just to like members of the family, but everybody. It's not really like considered a prodigious role that she's been given. Like there's no indication that Lionel brought her to King's Landing like he did with his sons and daughters and tried to get them marriages and tried to get them jobs. No marriages are arranged for Alice. She's left behind back at the castle. And Lionel could have. He was hand of the king. His family was on the rise. He could have made matches for her if she if he wanted to or found a job for her. That's not that uncommon. Uh, she's also seemingly quite below stature of other members of House Strong, like Sir Simon Strong and his grandsons in Harrenhal. When Lionel's away, they rule. Alice has apparently no role in this. 
This is very much the Southern idea of bastardy, where they are treated as a little more than peasants rather than kind of the Northern idea of bastardy, where they can be seen as more like members of the family and given important jobs to do. Kind of a, a cultural thing there, but there may be a potential reason for this. For instance, there's the idea that Alice doesn't seem to be considered a member of the Sarongs by the rest of the family. This could suggest that Alice is a strong nut through Lionel and the main line of the family or Simon, but perhaps from Lucamore, the Lusty's Bastards which were sent back to Hall and trace her line through Lucamore rather than the main line of the Strongs, which came from his brother Bywin. So after Lucamore was gelded and sent to the wall, Jaehaerys and Alysanne split up his many, many children. Some went to the wall with Lucamore. Others were sent back to Hall with their kin, the Strongs. Others were sent to Storm's End and more were sent to Driftmark with the Valarians. So it's very likely that the shame of Lucamore hung over his descendants and his bastard children's compared to the Trueborn Strongs, creating a distinct class disparity between them. This may inform why Alice, despite being ostensibly kin to the Strongs, is treated as little more than a household servant. She's one of Lucamore's kids, not from Bywin. That would definitely create a that would definitely create a, a divide in the family. That kind of thing happens all the time. And that could be the kind of thing that really graded on Alice as it seems like she was treated less than the rest of her family. Oh, good call by Jess B. She says, I suspect the Targaryen's magical blood that had stillborn children were genetically closer to dragons or another creature than the humans they were trying to breed with. Maybe Alice is the same. Could be. It's definitely a thing in Targaryens that they have quite a lot of stillborn and twisted and dragon-like looking children. So that is another inference you can make about Alice that a weird thing that uh, George is suggesting with her. Alice is very clearly playing a long game, but to what end? A good question, Carl Carsnark. But going back to Lucamore and the his bastards that were left behind, I would I would really not be surprised if that's what George is alluding to with the fact that he mentions the bastards were sent back to live under the Strongs. That is definitely the kind of interhouse shaming that you would expect to see among the nobility of Westeros. He says those tales are all about society not understanding women who wield power. After the reigns, the singer sort of wrote songs about time when no one accused them of sorcery to get done. Yes, that's true. As I mentioned, the, the calling a woman witch in Westeros and assigning these roles to her is very much a cultural thing. It's a way of showing that they are sort of stepping out of their the way that the um, misogynistic culture expects them to be. But there are also literally witches. And so it's probably wrong like 99.9% .9 of the time when you hear it. But we do have examples where it's like, oh, this this character is a witch. She's doing crazy things with blood magic and she's killing children. It's like, well, sometimes that does happen. Unlike in our real world where it is very much a 100% fail rate on that one. We, we do very much see other women that get the kind of same treatment Sansa gets accused of turning into like a bat wolf thing and flying away after a Joffrey's murder. That's Sansa's not a skin. Well, she is a skin changer, but she's definitely not a shape changer and she's not like a crazy murderous witch character. So like that is completely misplaced. And it's probably untrue about Danelle Lawson, but it's definitely true about at least Melisandre. And we know Rohane Weber. It's not true about. Oh, also a $5 PayPal from Dane McKay. Th Happy Saturday. Thanks, Danny. Appreciate it. So that's kind of the backdrop of Alice Rivers. That's where you get to what I call the Heron Hall Waltz. Ah, Hall, not a great place to rule. Before the dance, one very important thing that happens at Hall that may involve the previously little known Alice Rivers. As discussed in the last stream, 
Arwen had cuckolded Leonor Valarian with Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen, and as such, the three heirs to the Iron, Stro- Iron Throne were in fact not Valarians, they were three strongs, Jace, Luke, and Joffrey. That atten- the tension eventually boiled over, and King Viserys told Rhaenyra, you have to send Harwin Strong away. Harwin is sent away from Dragonstone, away from Rhaenyra, who he had at that point, like I think like a seven or eight year relationship with and three, ch- and three kids. Harwin and his father, Lionel, who's hand of the king at the time, go back to Harrenhal. Harwin's presumably probably pretty furious about what happened, but also maybe a little heartbroken. I mean, clearly the two, he and Rhaenyra were together for quite a long time. He had to leave behind his kids, that kind of thing. And Lionel may have been accompanying him not only to be like, hey, buddy, uh, you'll get over this. Sorry, this happened. At least you're not dead, that kind of thing. But he also could have been maybe trying to avoid an immediate Viserys overreaction. He had previously threatened to rip out tongues and he was in kind of a violent mood. So maybe Lionel was like, all right, I'm going to take a little vacation back home to the Riverlands. I'll be back. Maybe Viserys will have cooled off by then. So the two men arrive back at their seat of Harrenhal and almost immediately (laughs) a fire breaks out. The fire engulfs their quarters, killing both men, their retainers, as well as a a dozen servants. Now, I went through a potential list of suspects about if this fire was lit on purpose, who did it? And the guy at the top of the list for me is Damon Targaryen. He had good reasons for wanting both men dead. He seemingly has like a weird spy network and assassins he can call on. He definitely has the personality of someone that would be totally on board with killing guys like Lionel and Harwin. So that was my best suspect. But even if Damon did do it, how did he, if he arranged the murder or really anybody else from King's Landing, they would need somebody local like the cat's paw at Winterfell in order to, you know, go through with the lighting of the fire and actually kill them. Is it cuckolding if the husband agrees and is happy to recognize the kids? That's a question I don't know about. More of an open relationship, perhaps. But definitely that was the implication from the rest of them that these kids were masquerading as Valarion when they, in fact, were not. Perhaps it was Alice Rivers who lit the torches and barred the doors that led to the deaths of Lionel and Harwin. Alice's later ownership of the castle and seemingly lack of care about the rest of her relatives' deaths raises the possibility that she may have been uh, pretty unhappy to be forgotten and left to live with the rest of the common folk around Harrenhal while the Strongs played the Game of Thrones in Rising in power that they just forgot about her. That would certainly be a pretty good motive, especially if they basically never treated her like family anyway. And I want to raise the possibility here that it's maybe she was bullied or maybe abused by Harwin Strong and other members of the family. Like we know as captain of the Gold Cloaks that Harwin used his immense his immense strength, size, and name to essentially do whatever he wanted to anyone. He he walked around King's Landing like he owned it. So maybe that behavior didn't start when he had a gold cloak put on him. Maybe it's something that started at home. Maybe he would make fun of Alice or far, far more. So that could be something to keep in mind. We also know that Lara Strong is a manipulator and he becomes a trained torturer. His father obviously recognizes that the underworld life is right for Lara. So perhaps Lara started young when they were still in Harrenhal. And used to mess with the other kids. Maybe he messed with Alice, that kind of thing, and created a a motive for murder from her. Certainly a possibility, but we don't really know who lit that fire or anything. But we do know that the Alice and Simon Strong are eventually the ones that benefit from it the most locally. So if you're looking for who actually lit the fire, those would be the top suspects, whether or not they're working with anybody else. 
I am not really sure. Alice had a bad relationship with Damon, sort of. I will get to that in a little bit. So the other thing to keep in mind here is that we know that Alice is supposedly a sorceress and among her powers is the ability to see into the flame. So like in a more abstract sense, rather than the granular, like what happened between them as kids or who has the motives, Lionel and Harwin died very similar to how Heron and his sons died at Hall. You know, they were burnt alive in their castle, trying to hide behind the walls from the dragons in this case, uh, metaphorical or real ones from Viserys and Daemon. Uh, given how tied to the dragons Alice later becomes, <clears throat> she may be the metaphorical Balerion that lit the fire and killed Black Heron and his son, aka Lionel and Harwin. I mean, you look at her, she has the means, she possibly has motives, and she definitely has the opportunity to do it. So I would not rule out Alice Rivers as the one that lit the lit the proverbial fire that killed the two eldest members of House Strong. Uh, Coralise is another good possibility. He had definite reason for not liking Lionel or Harwin. I mean, there's, there's a ton of other possibilities. I went through them in the last stream about three quarters of the way through, if you want to check them out. So after the deaths of Harwin and Lionel, Laris Strong becomes the lord in name of Harrenhal. A title in lands he basically never seems to use as the governance of the castle remains with Sir Simon Strong and his grandsons. Alice remains just the wet nurse in residence of the castle. No mention of what she's doing at this time. So the full blown civil war of the Dance of the Dragon breaks out. And as often happens, there's a rush by both sides to seize Harrenhal. This basically happens in every war <laughs> because it's at a, a very key strategic location at the center of the roads, the Trident and the God's Eye Lake, <clears throat> which is why Karen chose it as the location, aside from potentially like magical reasons, as it's the natural center of Westeros, not King's Landing. King's Landing is mostly propped up by the fact that the Targaryens lived on Dragonstone and that it's a port, not really the geographic or the center of the place, especially if they built the roads. However, it often falls in wars really, really, really quickly because as I as I discussed in my Harrenhal live stream, the castle is huge. And when it was built, it required two, two full kingdoms worth of incomes and manpower, plus taking quite a lot from the Stormlands to even build it, never mind properly defending it before it was melted by Dragonfire. And spoiler alert, the Lords of Harrenhal after Harren were not given anywhere near that level of vassals and land to rule and to gain taxes from. The Tully family is instead given the entirety of the Riverlands. Much of the Stormlands is given, is carved up and given to the Crownlands by Aegon. So meaning that no lord afterwards who was given or inherited Harrenhal can actually afford to a proper defense of it. So in practice, the castle usually falls to the first army to show up, and then it kind of trades back and forth. Natural allies sometimes show up to take it, but that's not always how it goes. In the War of the Five Kings, we know that it gets passed back and forth between uh, Robs and the Lannister forces quite a few times. That is that is a normal behavior for Harrenhal. However, the residents of Harrenhal, aka the peasants and servants of the castle, tend to, tend to more or less stay in place throughout the war. It's usually the warriors and the lords and the nobles who are displaced. We see this during Arya's time in Harrenhal, where it's largely the same servants there that are, you know, cooking or serving the lords, that kind of thing, kind of no matter who's in charge. There's a permanent population that stays there regardless of who's there. Uh, good question, Mercy Waters. Any chance Alice visited the Isle of Faces? Yes, very much so. Yeah, everybody's living in that haunted castle together. But yeah, there's there's a permanent population there, and that's what happened during the dance. Uh, the first alive at Harrenhal during the dance is the is the uh, blacks led by the rogue prince himself, Damon, and Caraxes, 
who showed up dragons blazing. Surprisingly, Sir Simon Strong quickly surrendered as the Lords of Harrenhal usually do, and Damon takes control. Now, he supposedly, Damon supposedly takes the Strongs and the castle's small folk, including Alice, hostage. Doesn't really happen. They're not really hostages at that point because who's going to pay for them? Laris? Not really. There's nobody to hostage them out to. So they essentially just end up working under him. They stay in their positions, that kind of thing. But one thing that does actually happen is that during his time as Hand of the King, Lionel Strong had managed to amass a small fortune in gold, which Damon promptly steals for their side. Way to go, Damon. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they are left in charge of the castle. Damon's men and Damon himself are in charge, but they're mostly just waiting around. Why are they waiting around is because the Damon and the Blacks proclaim this that the taking of Harrenhal was this amazing, great victory, which does not bode well for the residents of the area. The easy victory is used as a political tool for Rhaenyra's side, that she and Daemon conquered the great fortress of Harren, which means they're awesome. Which means, again, they have put a target on Harrenhal that the Greens will want to take that back from them, not only tactically to get control of that whole area, but also to sway public opinion back their way, that Aegon II is in charge, or Aegon the, yeah, Aegon II is in charge, not the stupid Daemon and Rhaenyra. They haven't won anything. Who cares? We took it back. That sort of thing. Yeah, so Daemon takes the big W there. <laughs> And that's basically where it stands. He doesn't execute anybody. He doesn't pull a Brave Companions or the Mountains Men sort of thing, where they just start killing people at random. He basically just sits there as Caraxes. Why? It's bait. But bait for what or who? Well, Aemon, One-Eye, and Vagar. By placing himself in Harrenhal and flying a win in the face of Aemon and Kristen, as well as guy trying to become King Aegon, Daemon ensures that the Greens are going to march on Harrenhal to defeat him and take away his glory. Much the same thing that happened to Corlys's wife, Rhaenys the Queen, who never was. They want to take out a primary dragon rider and force behind on their side with an easy victory. It's also noted during this time that Alice and Daemon, despite the fact that Daemon is totally cool with sleeping around and Alice apparently has magical abilities to entrance men, no hint that the two of them hooked up during this time. Yeah, actually, Corlys Whitefire just said that Alice couldn't charm Daemon. <laughs> he was a true student of old Valyria. Or he just wasn't interested. Who knows? He was really into Rhaenyra at this time. So I'm guessing if he did, it's not reported, but maybe he did. The Greens are going to march on Harrenhal to defeat him, take away his glory and take out Caraxes. This works out extremely poorly for the Greens as they leave King's Landing in force, led by Christian Cole and Aemon One-Eye to root out the Rogue Prince. Who knows this is happening? Maybe by Alice? And Damon leaves before they arrive. Some liver lords put up a small fight around the god's eye, but it's really just enough to bog down the greens. Damon and his allies flee, leaving Harrenhal and the Strongs undefended. Undefended. So Aemon and Kristen show up. Damon's gone. His men are gone. It's basically just the Strongs and their garrison that are sitting there. They take the hollow victory. And why is it a hollow victory? Because while this is happening, Rhaenyra's forces have seized King's Landing. Aegon is forced to flee. He goes into hiding, smuggled by Lairus Strong. Otto Hightower is among those executed. They lose a lot of their local allies in the Crownlands, which were their primary allies, other than the uh, Hightowers. Allison Hightower and Helena Targaryen are taken hostage. You know, this is very, very bad for the Greens. Naturally, who's upset by this? Aemon One-Eye. <laughs> Aemon is very upset that his family is taken hostage. Some of them are killed. They've lost King's Landing. Aegon has essentially run away. Nobody knows where it is. He takes the whole execution and capture of his family and loss of King's Landing pretty hard and decides to take it out on the local garrison at Harrenhal. 
Whoops. Yeah, Eamon goes ahead and pulls a... Not an Amory Lord. Uh, what's his name? The guy from the Brave Companions. What's his name? Let me look this up. Vargo Holt. Yeah, he pulls basically a Vargo Holt on uh, Harahal at this point. He accuses the Strongs of having informed King... Informed back to King's Landing that somehow this whole march on Harrenhal left it undefended and therefore the Black should double back and take out the capital. And somehow this means that Lerner Strong is playing both sides, even though all of his actions are ostensibly benefiting the Greens. Eamon, quote unquote, reasons in a Joffrey-like fashion that Rhaenyra found out that they were marching on Harrenhal because Laris informed her and that it totally wasn't the fact that they publicly left the city with a massive army, and also Vagar was seen flying around the Riverlands. Somehow, this is incomprehensible to Aemond, and he decides the Strongs are all in on it. Uh, so what does he do? He challenges Simon Strong, a very old man, to a trial by combat. This doesn't go well for Simon Strong. He loses. Aemond cuts him into pieces and then feeds the pieces to Vagar, and then proceeds to do the same thing, basically, to everyone in the castle who is vaguely related to the Strongs. He executes them all one after another, feeds the rest of Vagar, and then piles up their heads in a pile some, that's like something like three to four feet high. That is really grim and pretty much a giant overreaction from Aemon, where he is taking out his anger at the his own bad decision making on these unfortunate people that live in Harrenhal. They didn't really do anything. It's supposed to be put up as a message, though it's... I'm not really sure what the message was, because... The Strongs didn't even oppose Aemon when he showed up. They instantly surrendered. They could have told him they're actually valuable because they'd been around Daemon and his men for quite a while. But Aemon doesn't give a shit about that. He's all in on this conspiracy theory that the Strongs and Harrenhal and Laris were the ones that just, the ones that made this bad thing happen and not himself. But it's Aemon, so he goes full psychopath and just kills a whole bunch of people for no reason. Except one. One member of House Strong escapes the um, total destruction of the family, and that is Alice Rivers. We have a quote here, kind of a strange one, and it's another thing that as I read this, keep in mind all the other weirdness about the mystery of Alice Rivers and like the stories about her. And this, again, just layers onto it. George is like going, hoo, 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 get ready for this one. It goes, thus did the flower of House Strong, an ancient line of noble warriors boasting descent from the first men, come to an ignoble end in the ward at Harrenhal. No true born strong was spared, nor any bastard one, save, oddly, Alice Rivers. Though the wet nurse was twice his age, thrice if we put our trust in Mushroom, Prince Aemon had taken her into her into his bed as a prize of war soon after taking Harrenhal, seemingly preferring her to all the... I cut off the quote here, but it essentially goes on to say there was a whole bunch of maids and pretty women that were closer to his age, and Aemon went like, no, I don't want them. Alice Rivers, though, she's got something. She's got spunk. Oh yeah, thanks, Curtis. Uh, yeah, make sure... Slam the like button, y'all, if you could. I'd really appreciate it. It helps out with having helping people find the channel and all the fun we have here. Okay, so like what's going on here? Why did why among Alice survive the the destruction of how strong? Oh, hey Irish Alchemy, a bit late. Glad I was able to catch this one. Alice is fascinating. Yes, she is. Glad you could join us. Uh, so if we go back to maybe the class disparity between Alice and the rest of the strongs. Maybe she was very, very helpful in pointing out which dudes around the castle were actually strongs or which ones were related to them, which ones were bastards. 
and as sort of a revenge of sorts for treating her like just like a common peasant when she's actually a member of their family. That kind of thing could happen. We see, I think it's Falia Flowers on the Shield Isles that basically does the same thing with Euron, where she takes quite a lot of delight in seeing the Trueborns tortured and assaulted and all the horrible things that happens to um, the rest of that family. I think it's Lord Hewitt. Yeah, Lord Hewitt and the rest of the family. Euron and Ironborn do terrible things to them and Falia Flowers really enjoys it in a in a revenge sort of way. It's like, well, they made they treated me like shit all my life. Now it's their turn, that kind of thing. So that could be kind maybe what happened here with Alice Rivers. Um, always bet on mushroom side of the story. Mushroom side of the story is always the more interesting one. That's for sure. It's a fun story, the one he's telling. True or not, who knows? So that could be something that's going on there. Or it could be something a little bit more magical. Maybe she demonstrated her powers to Aemond in some traumatic way. We see a similar thing with Tyena of the Tower with uh, Magor the Cruel. We see the same thing with Melisandre, where she uses her abilities to get Stannis to not only get her into his her, his inner circle of decision makers, but also a uh, a kind of sexual a sexual relationship, which is also what happens with Tyena of the Tower. She becomes she uses whatever kind of magic she has. Hang on a second. I'm kind of spiking my, um, my audio here. I'm redlining. I don't want to be redlining. Okay, that looks good. Uh, sorry about that. So it could be a similar sort of thing here. If Alice had real powers, following the example of those other kind of characters, maybe she did something. Maybe she used her prescient abilities to impress Aemond. We don't really know what becomes, well, we have a hint later that maybe that is actually what happened. So what becomes clear early in the relationship is that this goes very quickly from woman who's trying not to be beheaded and fed to a dragon by psychopathic dragon lord to Alice Rivers unexpectedly kind of taking charge of Aemond and by extension, the Greens. It's a little bizarre how quickly that happens. So what follows is the full trap that's being sprung on Aemon and Kristen. All the lands and villages around Harrenhal are being looted and burned, meaning the foraging parties find nothing, and those that try to go further are killed in the woods when they try to go further. The reason for this is that most of the Riverlands has sided with Rhaenyra, and so they're essentially surrounding it and fighting a guerrilla war, kind of like we see from the Brotherhood Without Banners. Or, oh, I'm sorry, the others, uh, other possibility is that Aemon just really had a thing for Alice Rivers. You know, that who knows? Maybe he's into older women, or she's very attracted to him in some particular way. Who knows? That's the other. That's a fairly low-stakes possibility. He just instantly went like, she's the one for me, kind of thing does happen. The the Riverlanders are surrounding Hall and Aemon and Kristen, and then obviously the the battle at the lakeshore, otherwise known as Fishfeed, happens where the Greens' Westerland allies are trying to march to Harrenhal to essentially link up with them. They are ambushed at the God's Eye by the Winter Wolves led by Roderick Dustin, who he and his forces of Riverlanders and Northmen essentially exterminate the Westerlander army. So Aemon, Aemon himself is not really trapped because he has Vagar. He can fly away whenever he wants, but his army and the forces that need to go back to take King's Landing, they are. Again, it appears that Alice is showing up in his decision making in a pretty surprising way. Supposedly, Aemon fell very quickly, deeply infatuated with her and could not be away from her for even a single minute. Like he had to have Alice by his side wherever he went. In the Fire and Blood, this is blamed on love potions and magics. It's kind of a bit unclear why he falls so strongly for Alice. There's another story as well that part of the reason that Kristen and Eamon pardon ways, Kristen Cole, is that that she supposedly seduced Kristen. <gasps> oh my God, scandal. How could, oh my God, Kristen Cole seduced again? 
first by Rhaenyra, then by Alice Rivers. My God, I don't particularly um, believe that one. If you want to take a neutral path between the stories of this, I imagine given how crazy for Alice Rivers Eamon was that he became insanely jealous of probably anyone talking to Alice and that in his growing paranoia, which we saw with the Strongs and the conspiracy theory concocted about random bastard members of House Strong working against him, which they definitely weren't, that maybe he thought that Kristen was hitting on her and as such invented the idea that, oh, they were sleeping together. We have to get, I have to get away from Kristen because Alice can't be near him. That kind of thing. A lot of stance fives. Yeah, that's right. Devoted to Maria, Mariah, Mariah. I'm guessing that's what happened. Eamon essentially just went uh, insane with jealousy of anybody interacting with her. Eamon's a bad dude, by the way, in case you can't notice. Very bad dude. So what ends up happening is Kristen tries to go south to join up the high tower troops. Eamon kind of just loses his mind at this point. Or more precisely, it may be that Alice has started directing where her new pet dragon should go. Uh, this is probably not very dissimilar to the relationship between Stannis and Melisandre, where she begins pointing out for him tactically what he should be doing. <clears throat> So in the Riverlands, yeah, we, Kristen Cole abandons Harrenhal, striking south along. Oh, hang on. This is actually a quote. This is a quote. This is a good one. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Lord Corlys, he brings up that the uh, betrothal, Aemon was betrothed to a Baratheon daughter. He breaks the betrothal for Alice. Alice actually later claims they were married. But anyway, in the Riverlands, Sir Kristen Cole abandoned Harrenhal, striking south along the western shore of the God's Eye with 3,600 men behind him. Death, disease, and desertion had thinned the ranks that had ridden, ridden forth from King's Landing. Prince Aemon had already departed, flying Vega. The castle stood empty no more than three days before Lady Sabatha Frey swooped down to, to seize it. Inside, she only found Alice Rivers, the wet nurse and purported witch who had warmed Prince Aemon's bed during his days at Harrenhal and now claimed to be carrying his child. I have the dragon's bastard in me, the woman said as she stood naked in the godswood with one hand upon her swollen belly. I can feel his fires looking at my room. So apparently what happened was he got Alice uh, pregnant and then he would, even though he could bear not to be away from Alice for more than a few minutes, he would fly away on Vagar and like burn a, a town or a castle or something like that and then come back. But this scene in particular, this one right here, is really where George starts ramping up the connections of Alice Rivers to magic and really the strangeness of the Weirwoods and the Old Gods. Why? Because this scene is nearly identical to one of Bran's Weirwood visions of that he saw at Winterfell. This is the quote here. After that, the glimpses came faster and faster till Bran was feeling lost and dizzy. He saw no more of his father nor the girl who looked like Arya, but a woman heavy with child emerged naked and dripping from the black pool, knelt before the tree and begged the old gods for a son who would avenge her. So this is a good time to be reminded about the fact that Harrenhal is really close to the god's eye and the Isle of Faces. And that Harrenhal itself is built from quite a lot of weirwoods itself. It has the largest godwood anywhere in Westeros. Yeah, and the that the God's Eye Lake and the Isle of Faces are considered holy places for the old gods where the green men watch over the weirwoods. So a uh, question earlier from Isabel Lamego, did Alice Rivers go the Isle of Faces based on this? I would say, uh, yeah, maybe she's George is having her imitate a very particular scene from Bran. Most the same things. We don't see her ask for a son to avenge her, but that does end up kind of happening. 
Alice Rivers has a lot of connections with the Weirwood. She has a lot of connections with the old gods, not only from like her actions and these kind of scenes, but the way she's being described, the blood magic around her, the witchness around her. Like woods witches, another term for a woods witch is basically an old god priestess. That's basically what they are. So I talked about this in my How Strong video, talking about how their secret starks. Well, this is one of those moments where it kind of seems like the old gods suddenly make an emergence out of nowhere in uh, the Dance of the Dragons through Alice and through Aemond. And again, we have Alice here playing a very similar role. Uh, she's very symbolically close to somebody like Bloodraven, you know, a dragon strongly associated with the Weirwoods and the old gods. Or let's, I'm just going to go through a list here of all the times that a Targaryen prince ended up with a kind of a woman connected to the old gods. So we have Jenny of Oldstones, a Duncan Prince of Dragonflies, Rhaegar and Lyanna, Missy Blackwood and Aegon the Unworthy. Hang on, I, miss, I, I lost my place. Sarah Snow and Jace Valarian, aka Strong, Aegon the Sixth and Beth of Blackwood. It's a very, it's a repeated pattern within that from George that a lot of these old gods associated women like those from House Blackwood, those from the Starks, Jenny of Oldstones, Alice Rivers here, have a really high success rate for some reason finding themselves with Blood of the Dragon, with the Targaryens. I think that's definitely something to keep in mind, that this is a, a repeated pattern and an instance where the old gods are making themselves known in what is ostensibly a, a war between the dragons. Unlike a large-scale sense, this is how we know the old gods and the Children of the Forest work, where they cannot win wars by fighting them themselves, but they win them through uh, manipulation and things like this, where they encourage wars between their enemies. Yeah, John and Egret, that's another good one. John himself is very similar as a child of a Targaryen and a Stark, and the old gods mixing with the blood of the dragon, that kind of thing. So yeah. This is another way of George essentially using these other characters as the backdrop for Alice. And actually, this language here is very reminiscent of what we saw between Danny, her dragon eggs, as well as when she was pregnant with Rago. And this is not the first time that George has drawn comparisons between Danny and Alice Rivers. They both they both had the rumors about them with using the blood of children and virgins to empower themselves and keep themselves young. They're both associated with dark sorcery. This weirdness of the the feeling of the fire of the dragon coming through with pregnancy. Those are kind of on the nose. So it's a, it's a little weird here. In a way, you could call Alice the, the bride of fire as she is ostensibly married to Aemon One-Eye. There's a lot of there's a lot of very intriguing connections that George is making here between this kind of random woman from Harrenhal, a bastard of House Strong, and these giant characters within the rest of the story. I really like the Danny one. That one, I was thinking about that uh, last night, and it just kind of hit me. I was like, wow. Ah, they actually are kind of similar, aren't they? And you go back and you read the chapters when she's pregnant or when the eggs are starting to hatch. Like some of the things Alice said sounds a lot like Danny. So anyway, after all that cool stuff, Alice is captured briefly by the phrase, which seemingly drives Aemond into an insane fury. Rather than going back to King's Landing, rather than going with Kristen Cole, he engages essentially in large scale blitzkrieg attacks on Vagar all over the Riverlands. One after another, he shows up and burns down castles and towns until finally he recovers Alice from Sabbath Afray. Now, at this point, it appears that, that Alice takes full control of Aemond and his decision making and directing him what to do, much in the same way that Davos uses against Stannis when he's arguing about the Blackwater. It's like, well, it won't be your victory. It'll be Melisandre's. The same kind of thing is happening here. So the attacks continue after she is recovered by Aemond 
all over the Riverlands. No one's able to stop Vagar. And this seems much more strategic, but not for helping the Greens, because it's specifically trying to draw dragons out from King's Landing to meet Aemond. Because the way he's attacking, you can't stop him unless you're another dragon rider. And there are only so many dragons that are big enough to stop Vagar. One of them is Caraxes, of course. And this finally culminates that Damon goes back to Harrenhal and seizes it from the skeleton crew that he left behind. And he essentially waits there for Aemond alone. There's a story about how he slashed the weirwoods with his sword and every spring the, the trees bleed anew. Again, the idea of the weirwoods and the dragons and all that stuff is very, very strong throughout this entire section of Fire and Blood. I'm just going to read what happens here from Fire and Blood because it's I think it's a really good passage and very well written. But it's also very, very revealing. We learn how Alice has taken control of Aemond. And this is crucial. He had not come alone. Alice Rivers flew with him, her long hair streaming black behind her, her belly swollen with child. Prince Aemon circled twice about the towers of Harrenhal, then brought Vagar down in the outer ward, Caraxes a hundred yards away. Hang on a second. hundred yards away. The dragons glared balefully at each other, and Caraxes spread his wings and hissed, flames dancing across his teeth. The prince helped his woman down from Vagar's back and turned to face his uncle. Uncle, I hear you have been seeking us. Only you, Damon replied. Who told you where to find me? My lady, Aemon answered. She saw you in a storm cloud, in a mountain pool at dusk. In the fire we lit to cook our suppers. She sees much and more, my Alice. You are a fool to come alone. Were I not alone, you would not have come, said Damon. But here you are, and here I am. You have lived too long, Uncle. On that much, we agree, Damon replied. Then the old prince bade Caraxes bend his neck and climb stiffly, and climb stiffly onto his back, whilst the young prince kissed his woman and vaulted lightly onto Vagar, taking care to fasten the four short chains between his belt and saddle. <clears throat> Damon left his own chains dangling. Caraxes hissed again, filling the air with fire, and Vagar answered with a roar. As one, the two dragons leapt into the air. Prince Damon took Caraxes up swiftly, lashing him with steel with a steel-tipped whip until they disappeared into a bank of clouds. Vagar, older and much the larger, was also slower, made ponderous by her very size, and ascended more gradually, in ever-widening circles that took her and her rider over, out over the waters of the god's eye. The hour was late, and the sun was close to setting, and the lake was calm, its surface gleaming like a sheet of beaten copper. Up and up she soared, searching for Caraxes, as Alice Rivers watched from atop King's Pyre Tower in Harrenhal below. So, so it turns out that Alice has uh, some real powers here beyond the first named thing she can do beyond her apparently amazing milk pr production and the fact that she seems a lot younger than her true age. She can see the future, apparently. The in the fire reference reminds us of, of course, flame readings, which we know from Melisandre and other followers of her lore engage in to great success and is a real thing you can do in this universe. The seeing in the storm clouds and the mountain pools makes us think of the ghost of Highheart, Bran, Bloodraven, as these kind of symbolic images are very common to the those that have green sight and green dreams. Oh, hey, Mallory, how's it going? I'm glad you could join us. This account must have come from Alice herself. Who did she tell this to? Good question. There's a lot of things in Fire and Blood where it's like, wait, how could they have possibly learned this? 
I don't know. So George previously throughout his discussion of Alice Rivers has made us think with his multiple sources game that maybe Alice has no powers and Alice and Eamon is essentially just simping for Alice for personal reasons or that he's under the spell of some kind of love potion or something like that. But no, here we have definitive answers that perhaps she does have powers and which ones, which leads to an interesting question. If Alice knows the future and can see it in much the way that Melisandre or the Green Dreamers can. Did she know that the duel with Damon and Aemon was coming at Harrenhal and that they would both die? Because presumably she would know the outcome and led Aemon there anyway. A very curious set of decisions if she actually can see the future. Maybe it was uncertain and for some reason she thought that Aemon would survive. There's definitely suggestions that Damon survived and that he essentially crawled away from the water or something like that. Maybe she mistook in her visions, Damon, Damon for Amond as their base. Actually, that's one of the fun things. They're the, the letters of their names are exactly the same. But um, yeah, it raises a lot of questions. If Alice does have these powers, what was she? What was she using them for? What did she? What was she leading Amon towards? Presumably his own death. And like, why would she do that? Curious, curious, curious. Very interesting questions. This also becomes this begs further questions about like, was Amon just a tool for Alice? Much one for the old gods, or I guess maybe Rolor if she's using flame readings. And if so, what for? Like we know Melisandre essentially uses Stannis as a tool to fight the darkness. If it's that kind of relationship, then what is Alice using Aemon for? What do the old gods want with Alice Rivers and the dragon in her belly? Or is it just about killing the both of them? I think it asks a lot of really interesting questions about her. Things that we may learn in Fire and Blood too, but also uh, good questions about characters like Melisandre and um, Tyana of the Tower and those sorts of characters. When you have this magic, and if you really have it, then what is it leading you towards? And also, do you have any real control over it? Like the ghost of Highheart seems to have no control over her dreams. She just reports what she sees and sometimes they come true. It's one of those things that makes me want to see a lot more from from. Alice Rivers in Fire and Blood 2, because these are great, great questions and great plot lines to possibly lead her down. Of course, that assumes that Eamon is telling the truth here, but we'll, we'll get back to that later. So then we get the Witch Queen O'Haron Hall. After the battle over the God's Eye, our Alice slips out of sight from her spot atop the King's Pyre Tower, being King's Pyre Tower, and then she reappears, but again at Heron Hall. There's been rumors afterwards, after the uh, battle over the God's Eye, that some kind of Witch Queen has taken up residence at the castle. But this is not unlike what we hear about Lady Stoneheart and Beric Dondarrion, that there's some kind of like shadowy force controlling something in the Riverlands from this like uncertain rural warfare kind of thing. It turns out that it is Alice Rivers herself, and this time she has captured the castle, but is no longer alone standing in front of the Weirwoods, you know, naked with a child. Instead, she has somehow gathered 600 followers within the cursed castle and is acting as their leader, 200 of them fighting men and soldiers. And they have barred the castle door. And more than that, Alice has given birth to a dragon. Okay. This is the thing she previously could not do, according to the story, that all of her children before were stillborn. But this one, this one works. If you're looking for comparisons to Danny, this is another good one because Danny believes that she cannot get pregnant or have children anymore after Mary Mazdor's curse. And the same sort of thing here with Alice, where supposedly she could not have children. And then something weird and magical happens. And all of a sudden she can that she like 
has all these interactions with the old gods, the weirwoods. Maybe she asked them for a child, that kind of thing. And all of a sudden, ta-da, she's pregnant and she had a child. So more Alice Danny connections. And here's the quote. I find this one really interesting. This is kind of classic George, like night flyers sort of um, action. Really love this one. When Seregis demanded to speak to their lord, a woman emerged to treat with him with a child beside her. The witch queen of Harrenhal proved to be none other than Alice Rivers, the base-born wet nurse who had been a prisoner and then paramour of Prince Aemon Targaryen and now claimed to be his widow. The boy was Aemon's, she told the knight. His bastard, said Seregis, his trueborn son and heir, Alice Rivers spat back, and the rightful king of Westeros. She commanded the knight to kneel before your king. Alice, you, you are on a roll here. <laughs> and swear him his sword. Seregis laughed at this, saying, I do not kneel to bastards, much less the baseborn whelp of a kinslayer and a milk cow. What happened next remains a matter of some dispute. Some say that Alice merely raised a hand and the Seregis began to scream and clutch his head until his skull burst apart, splaying blood and brains. What? What, what's going on here? Others insist that the widow's gesture was a signal at which the crossbowmen on the battlements let fly a bolt that took Sir Regis through the eye. Mushroom, who was hundreds of leagues away, has suggested that perhaps one of the men on the walls was skilled in the use of a sling. Soft lead balls, when slung with sufficient force, has been known to cause this sort of explosive effect that Grove's men saw and attributed to sorcery. <laughs> Before I discuss it, actually, there's a new thing we can do here. We can create poles. How did... Seregis die. Hang on a second. Brain explosion, arrow in the eye, or sling, sling of lead. Let me put that one up there. I hope this showed up for you guys. This is a new thing that YouTube rolled out where apparently I can create live polls for you to answer. Oh, there it goes. Brain explosion currently leading. Oh yeah, slam that like button. If we get another 30 likes, put on some silly hats for the rest of the stream. My silly hats are great. She mountained him. Wow. It showed up. All right, cool. Oh no, nobody's believing the arrow in the eye. Interesting, interesting. What color are Alice's eyes? Based on the Strongs, it's probably brown. A Targaryen or a dragon, says Mallory. A good question. That comes up very shortly about what exactly was birthed within Harrenhal. <laughs> it blew his mind. Oh, good one, Grateful Greens. Perfect. A perfect pun. Seems a brain explosion is the showed up on the app. Oh, cool. This is a new feature. So I'm tr we're trying it out here for the first time. I used to do use like straw poll and stuff like that, but this seems way better, especially if it just shows up natively in the app. I don't have to ask people to go anywhere. Magic is fun. This is true. Everyone likes a good deal of magic, especially George R. R. Martin. So let's get into a discussion of like what actually happened here. So this is George asking another question about if Alice truly has any magical powers. The arrows and swings here are fairly reasonable suggestions rather than that she can somehow just go like go like full gene grain like make somebody's head explode and that's not a thing we've seen any magic users that are capable of doing within a song of ice and fire team brain explosion by the way mallory would be a great shirt <laughs> However, if you haven't read any of George's works other than A Song of Ice and Fire, you may be surprised to know that brain explosion is a thing he has written about before. Uh, this happens in Night Flyers, among other ones, where, yes, one character is able to use magical powers, basically, to make a head explode, and basically exactly like this. And Shadow Assassins, the kind that Melisandre used, there's a lot of linking here to Melisandre. You'll see. Yeah, scanners that happens in. Good call. Yeah, but Shadow Assassins, like the ones Melisandre uses, are definitely a thing that can cut through steel. And apparently they can pick up guys like Courtney Penrose and throw them off battlements. 
So like, is it impossible that a shadow binder could use her powers to make somebody's head explode? No, I think it's very much in the realm of possibility. If you if they somehow can create shadow swords that go straight through armor and throw a guy, then I assume they can go and make a head explode if they wanted to. Uh, brain explosions are one of George's favorite things to write about. So, yeah, I don't think it's I don't think this is as unreasonable as it sounds. In a way, you can kind of see George offering the two really reasonable ones to lead you away from the magical brain explosion. But he does like magical brain explosions. So that's all I'm saying. Uh, 43% believe the brain explosion. So again, here we have Alice that continuing to look like an actual magic user. In the aftermath of Sir Regis's death, the 200 Witch Queen's men fly out of the castle and kill all but 43 of the men there to take back Harrenhal. 32 escaped, 13 were taken prisoner. And this seems to be kind of on purpose by Alice, who holds by the, the pirate maxim that dead men tell no tales, which is also a thing that Euron uses, which is can't get a reputation and get people to be scared of you if they've never heard of you. So if you kill everybody, there's nobody left to go back and say, uh, by the way, that person killed everybody by me. You have to let at least some people go. Here's the quote here. These are really good quotes. So I'm just reading them. Having been captured with a dozen others, he had been forced to watch them die by torture one by one before being turned loose to deliver a message. I'm to tell you what she said, he gasped, that you can't laugh. The widow put a curse on me. Any man of you laughs, I die. When Sir Damon assured him that nobody was going to laugh at him, the messenger said, don't come again unless you mean to bend your knees, she said. Any man who comes near her walls will die. There's power in these stone, in them stones, and the widow's woken it. Seven save us all. She has a dragon. I seen it. <laughs> I seen it. The name of the messenger is lost to us along with the name of the man who laughed, but someone did, one of Lord Derry's men. The messenger looked at him, stricken, then clutched at his throat and began to wheeze, unable to draw breath. He was dead in moments. Supposedly, imprints of a woman's fingers could be seen upon his skin as if she had been in the room choking him. Okay, so this could just be exaggeration again. This could be nothing. I mean, this kind of thing, they're like, for instance, we know that Rob Stark is rumored to have turned into a giant wolf and eaten people. Doesn't mean it happened. But again, this is something a shadow binder could probably do, which we as a reader know about, which these characters do not. Twice now, Alice is being hinted at perhaps imitating Melisandre in her in shadow binding, perhaps not. And then also with the seeing the future in the flames and also killing two men in impossible ways, basically without magic, as well as her relationship to Aemon, which seems very similar to Stannis. So, yeah, this raises even further questions. There's a lot of questions being raised here about Alice's identity and her age. Let's just say as a hang on, I'm going to end this poll. Brain explosion one, 45 percent. Bless you all for believing in team brain explosion. Let's just say as a thought exercise, you take all of these as true, right? Everything said about Alice is true. You have somebody who has green dreams. You have somebody who's a reloric fire seer, a shadow binder, maybe wearing a glamour and more. If these are all true, either Alice is gifted beyond anyone else in the story in terms of like a magical convergence around her, or she's somebody in disguise that is using a glamour pretending to be a nobody from the river, you know, a person that kind of straddles the lines between all of these known kinds of magic in a song of ice and fire and can use all of them. 
rather than just one or two. Uh, the only thing we don't really see her do is skin changing, but <laughs> who knows? Maybe she maybe she can skin change too. Maybe we'll see that in the Fire and Blood part two. Of course, the other side of that is, you know, maybe there's nothing there. And there's a lot of confusion around her intentionally from George that feels extremely similar to the kind of things we see from Lady Stoneheart and Beric Dondarrion. The way there's kind of these wild tales told about her, stories of impossible deeds, the connections to witchcraft and magic, the way she somehow amasses a random group of followers kind of out of thin air in the aftermath of a brutal war in the Riverlands. So like, what if, what is the truth here? What is the truth of Alice Rivers? We see shadow binding from Quaith. I don't know. Maybe she's uh, holding back for some reason. This feels a very similar question to one that is very common in the fandom. And that is in character construction to Euron Greyjoy, the crow's eye, which the, the similarities here in terms of what's real and what's fake may not be that off base, considering Alice takes Harrenhal as her home, as her castle basically becomes the witch queen. And of course, Harrenhal was built by the Ironborn, Harrenhor from the Iron Islands. So, you know, don't don't discount what we're hearing. I mean. There's a lot of similarities here in particular, like the Riverlands has just been destroyed, just like in the War of the Five Kings. But the question becomes like, how much of this is effective marketing, basically? Like Rohan Weber and Euron are masters of this, using using rumors about them to their advantage. But then also how much is perhaps real magical powers that are being exaggerated? We know that Melisandre does this. She lets people think that she has more magic than she really does, like her use of powders and weird shit like that, where she does have some abilities, but she doesn't have all of them. And that's kind of she kind of plays that up. I think it's I think viewing Alice in the same way as Euron is kind of a very fun thing to do. And there's also this kind of idea with her name, the Witch Queen, which is certainly very suggestive of another character cloaked in mystery, but not from A Song of Ice and Fire, Lord of Wing. Lord of the Lord of the Rings, the Witch King of Angmar. In Lord of the Rings, Sauron's chief ringwraith and servant is this character whose one of his names is the Witch King of Angmar. He was once a mortal man who was gifted with this magical ring, which over time empowered him to an extremely powerful weapon of evil and magic, but as well as losing his identity and rendering him functionally immortal. He is so old in his undeath and his appearance literally gone from the physical world that nobody knows who he is. The Witch King of Angmar is a false name he takes up where he kind of arrives out of nowhere to carve out this, this kingdom that he calls Angmar from the realm of Arnor from the dwarves. Then acting as kind of a similar sorcerer lord here, the Witch King begins gathering forces to fight for Sauron's goal, but never actually declaring his identity as a ringwraith and that he serves Sauron, who most believe is gone forever. It is not until later in Sauron's return in his unmasking at Dol Gadur that anyone actually realizes that the Witch King was actually Sauron's chief ringwraith in disguise. So with so with this naming convention that George obviously would be aware of, he's a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, that asks a lot of questions about Alice Rivers. So for instance, like the Witch King of Angmar, is Alice Rivers a false name? Is she some kind of powerful magical servant of some power in the world pretending to be someone else? Uh, much in the way Melisandre wears her wears her glamour, but perhaps not just because to hide her appearance, but to be somebody else, almost like the faceless men in a way. If her magical powers are true, then we're kind of left with the conclusion that she's either the most powerful char magical character in the world by the luck of genetics, or this is some kind of false identity for somebody much more powerful. I'm not sure. 
I think that's up to personal choice, basically, which one you, you prefer. Like if there if she's like a agent of some giant magical power, then like which one? I don't even know. Like, and what is she doing this for? It may just be luck. But of course, that assumes that her magic powers are true. Maybe they are like arrow through an eye seems re reasonable. I don't really know what's going on with the choking around the neck, but that could just be a random story. Maybe she has nothing. But if she does, this is a wild one. <laughs> Uh, the Witch Queen of Narnia. I forgot about that one. That could also be on the table. Oh, 25 PLN from the Kraken Queen. No question. Just thank you for the great content. <laughs> Hashtag team brain explosion. I like it. <laughs> Hashtag team brain explosion. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yeah, Chris Franks asked the question, who else would she truly be? That's kind of the problem. There's not any like larger magical character that's missing who like went missing like a hundred years before and is suddenly reappearing as Alice Rivers. Like there's a lot of things you would have to do, but the name, the witch queen and the seeming weirdness of her connection with the witch king of Angmar, it definitely George is asking you as the reader to ask these questions. He wants you to wonder about it. And that's that's fun in itself. Blame it on Bloodraven. Oh, my God. Uh, Nymeria Nan for short. I've got Dying of the Light free with Audible, but I haven't listened to it yet. And I'm dying to dive into it after this stream. Rhaegar Tormund, what I am waiting for. Yeah, that that's also on, on Patreon. You guys, I'm doing a read through of Dying of the Light, one of George's older works. I don't know if brain explosions are in that one, but from what I understand, there's some really cool stuff coming up in the in the chapters. So that's patreon.com slash Joe Magician if you want to check that out. Chapter two is free and it's with me and Aziz. It's $5 from San Rixian. <laughs> Hashtag team brain explosion. But yeah, it, it's worth thinking about. The truth may be more mundane, but this is a good kind of George's question. Is Euron, it's the same as Euron. Is Euron the Eldritch Apocalypse? Is he magical? Is he bringing about the end of the world or is he... Just a pirate who's really good at marketing and propaganda, or is it somewhere in between? If you like that question, you should like Alice Rivers quite a lot. Ooh, that was a bad one. Hang on a second. Let me take a drink. <clears throat> so we do not know what happens to Alice and her child. There's a child here, by the way, her child by supposedly aiming one eye. Why? Because winter falls and winter fever shows up. There's no mention of them in the World of Ice and Fire or the main books or Dunkin' Egg. So basically, if you want to learn more about Alice Rivers, we're waiting for Fire and Blood Volume 2 whenever that arrives. I think the last time I saw it, George said it was going to come out after Dream of Spring, but he has to finish The Winds of Winter first. So who knows? We may never get there. This may be a really good opportunity for fan fiction. And Chloe asks, if it's true that Melisandre is hundreds of year olds, could it be that Alice is her first appearance? Possibly. Although I think that a Melisandre, her real name is Melanie. So, but we don't know. Maybe Alice is in between another identity. That'd be kind of fun. So there's kind of a blank spot here. Aaron Hall is not actually gifted to House Lawson until 151 AC, whereas the winter fever outbreak occurred in 133 AC. So that's a long time for Alice to be possibly in control of Hall, making moves and for George to possibly write about her. Essentially what happened is winter fell, like literally snows fell, and then, of course, Winter Fever broke out and killed a whole bunch of people. So Unwin Peak and his band of merry men back in King's Landing said, like, we don't need Hall that bad. Everyone's dying anyway. He's a 
pandemic going on. We're not we're not going out there. So they leave Alice in control of Hall with her 600 people. That's kind of where it leaves off. So let's get to the question. Where did Alice Rivers go? And just speculated that perhaps this is Melisandre in an early form for pretending to be Alice Rivers for some reason. Uh, certainly a possibility. There's quite a lot of connections between the characters, behavior, the mystery around them. Possible magic seems to line up. That's not out of the realm of possibility. I would say probably unlikely. I would I would be surprised if Melisandre was actually Alice Rivers. But, you know, there's there's enough reason for long lived characters to like her to think like maybe there's a connection. Clint of the Learned Hands podcast, he said she's definitely the ghost of High Heart. This is a very popular one that in her old age and her agelessness and whatever else is going on with the magical Alice Rivers, that she became the character we know of the ghost of High Heart or the woods wish that came to court with Jenny of Old Stones. I believe one problem there is that the ghost of High Heart and the the woods witch that came with Jenny was a albino and Alice is definitely not. She is she has dark hair and I believe she has dark eyes, definitely not an albino. So if she becomes the ghost of High Heart, that's quite a lot of appearance changing, but if she's able to do glamours and stuff like that maybe that maybe she could or maybe she's wearing a glamour now to look like the character we know as Alice that she actually is an albino. Who knows? But that definitely is a thing you'd have to work around to work the theory that Alice Rivers is the ghost of High Heart or the Woods Witch. Uh, there's another good possibility here. So if you guys don't remember this, this is a fun story from Fire and Blood. The Burn Men of the Vale, they started because a fire witch arrived in the mountains of the moon with a dragon and essentially took control of their clan. They have to like give sacrifices to her and to obey her. This is suggested in Fire and Blood that this may be Nettle, Damon's lover, when she escaped from Rhaenyra's wrath. But given Alice's flair for using magic suggestion on her side and using fear to get people to follow her and also amassing followers out of nowhere, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that this may be Alice Rivers, that her eventual fate is in the Mountains of the Moon with the, the clan of the Burn Men. Actually, a curious Franks the said another one I was going to go with Old Nan, the other the ever popular suggestion that Old Nan is everybody that has ever been young. There's the scene where a lot of people think that Bran saw Old Nan making out with Duncan the Tall. The time if Alice Rivers is actually magical and extend her life, maybe she eventually does turn into Old Nan that underneath that weird bonnet and aged and shrunken that Alice eventually found her way up to Winterfell, especially with the the vision of the woman at Winterfell with the, the child and standing in front of the weirwoods. Maybe that suggests that one day Alice makes her way up there. There's nothing there's nothing really to that one. It's just kind of like maybe that'd be kind of cool. It would explain why she knows so many stories and like connections to the old gods and everything. But who knows? Another possibility. This is another one that I noticed a little bit when I was thinking about what happened to Hall after after Alice held it. And it's maybe the suggestion that Alice Rivers didn't go anywhere. Maybe she stayed around Hall. So after Alice's reign as Witch Queen, Hall is taken over by House of Lawston. And there's a lot of weird similarities between the descendant of House Lawston, namely Mad Donnell, 
or just Danelle, if you want to call her that, that lines up really strongly with uh, Alice Rivers. The witchiness, the the blood thing, the sacrificing, the sorcery, they seem connected somehow. So perhaps Alice didn't go anywhere and her descendants through this child with Amond ended up finding their way into the Lostin family, which has a fun side effect. Okay, so think about this. If Alice Rivers is related to Danelle and therefore um, the Lostin family, then there may be a daisy chain from George that go from Alice Rivers to the current Starks. Because it seems like House Went may be like a bastard or offshoot of House Lostin. Because the Lostins were, their sigil was a giant bat with halved with white and yellow. But then the Wents are the same yellow color with 10 bats. That seems like it could be perhaps a bastard house or a, an offshoot of their house or something like that. So this is a lot of ifs. But if the Lostins became the Wents and Alice is related to the Lostins and the Wents, then surprise, surprise, Catelyn Tully's mother was a Went, uh, Menicia Went. That would be kind of like a really fascinating, like weaving of a family tree to get you from Alice Rivers to Bran Stark and Sansa and Arya and all these characters. And if Alice Rivers is truly like the most magical person ever, if you're looking for some way for why Bran and that entire generation is so cool, maybe it's the Alice Rivers blood making it all the way down through the generations to the current timeline. Of course, that is extraordinarily tinfoil and a lot of ifs and crackpot, but it's fun. That's fun to think about. Who doesn't like some crackpot tinfoil now and then? In terms of what happened to her child, nobody, there's no mention in any of the other books about Eamon One-Eye's kid, anything about Alice. So whatever happens to them has to be relatively contained. It's not like it, they don't spread out into a massive plot line within the rest of A Song of Ice and Fire, at least not within the, the known history. If it's anything, it would have to be pretty, pretty on the down low, which lends itself to tinfoil. Rohane Weber is old nan. There it is, of course. Anyone that could be old is old nan. So let's talk a little bit about the hot D. Talk about House of the Dragon a little bit. So where is Alice Rivers going to show up here? I also got a couple questions that I'm going to get to afterwards that I got from Twitter. So where, if Alice Rivers shows up in House of the Dragon, where would it be? Well, it wouldn't be right away. It would be probably a later in House of the Dragon. In terms of the dance, she doesn't make her an appearance on page. Like she actually doesn't show up until Aemon One-Eye takes back Harrenhal from Damon. And that's well into the war. And with what we've seen from set photos and the casting and that kind of things, it seems like season one of House of the Dragon is going to essentially be the run up and the start of the dance itself, especially because we know that they're casting young Alicent and young Rhaenyra. So there's going to be a lot of flashbacks here. That would mean that Alice Rivers would probably be pushed back into season two or three if they get there. But once we get to that point, once we get well into the war and Aemon and Daemon flying around their dragons, she becomes a fairly major part of the story, particularly through her relationship to Aemon. But we also have interactions between her and Kristen Cole. We have the seizing of Harrenhal, uh, the battle over the God's Eye, and all these like weird lightning attacks from Aemon all over Riverlands. So she should show up quite a bit once she does appear on the page. And in a way, if you think about it, she kind of drove almost all the actions in the Riverlands after she shows up with her influence over Aemond. So in a weird way, I put the title of this like Alice is the real main character, but kind of in a way in her influence over Aemond and exactly how much she influences through him the rest of the Dance of the Dragons, she has a truly massive role. 
She leads to the death of Damon. She leads to the death of Eamon. Takes over Aaron Hall is somehow involved with like a uh, fish feed and maybe leading to the butcher's ball and all these kind of things. So should be a later season inclusion, but one that will show up and be there quite a lot. I wouldn't expect to see her have more of a role than Melisandre though. But while she was with Stannis, Melisandre was a fairly regular cast member. So I would look for that. So what was I saying? Oh yeah. And I very much doubt that the showrunners of House of the Dragon were going to pass up having their own Melisandre-like character. They, I would guess that they're not going to pull a Dan and Dave and a essentially like push the fantasy out of the story. The way that George seems to trust Ryan Condal, I would think would suggest that he's going to try and stick to that story quite a, quite a bit more. And Alice is a key part of that. So if they're going to show like the entrance of the old gods and the weirwoods and all the weird stuff that goes on in the second half of the dance, Alice will be an important part of it. If I had to guess on what they will portray her like though, I would think maybe more like Yennefer from, I actually thought about using Yennefer as the uh, thumbnail for this, but I decided to use Liliana because she's a little bit less known, especially among this crowd. But yeah, Yennefer would probably be a pretty good comp for what you expect to see from Alice Rivers in House of the Dragon, assuming they choose to go with the magic side, but I would guess they would. I also guessed during the last episode that maybe Harwin and Lionel Strong, their death will not be off screen, that it will happen on it, that maybe they'll move Harwin, Harwin's death up closer to the start of the dance. And if that happens, and if Alice had a role in that, we may see a lot more of her earlier, especially with the two of them arriving back at Harrenhal from King's Landing. I would expect that to be her to show up as a minor role there, kind of disappear for a while and then show up later. I'm much more in force once Eamon and Damon show back up at Harrenhal. But yeah, she her, she serves a very important role in the escalating influence on magic and weirwoods on the dance. One that's not directly on the page, but one that's sort of in the backstory. So hopefully for that. And then obviously when she shows up, she should stick around for quite a bit. The Strongs have... Actually, this is one of the reasons I, I, I like the House Strong basically just like on their own. But when you read Fire and Blood, and especially around the Dance of the Dragons... They have an outsized role on the Civil War itself from beginning to end. And Alice is an important part of that along uh, with Laris. These will be two characters that will be pushing the plot in not obvious ways. They're not like Damon riding their dragons or anything like that, but they do have an important role pushing um, pushing the plot and pushing the other main characters around. So looking forward to that. That should be really good. Uh, so I got two questions from Twitter from the Conqueror's Crown concerning her powers as a witch. Do you believe all mushrooms claim are true or is there a bit of exaggeration? There's no way mushrooms always right, but I would guess that George intended you to read mushroom as being over the top, but seeds of truth in a lot of what he's saying. That's sort of the point where he always goes like, oh, don't believe mushroom. He's he's crazy. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But then a lot of the time, Mushroom was like supposedly there for the events. And a lot of what he says seems to line up in weird ways to the other tales. So I'm going to guess that there's a, more of a sea of truth to Mushroom than to Eustace and Munkin. Also asked, could she be linked with the children of the forest and the old gods? Absolutely. I went over that. I think it'd be a really cool scene if Alice has some role in like Adam. I think it's Adam Valarion that ends up going to the Isle of Faces. That'd be cool if Alice was there in some way or if we see her go there. I guess that depends on how much they want to make the Isle of Faces and the God's Eye in Hall like a permanent set piece. But so much happens there. 
that I would guess they would want to. They could also like maybe invent a few scenes where like Alice takes aim into the Isle of Faces or talks about it or something like that. That'd be kind of cool. That seems to be uh, a large part of her role. Uh, Laris Strong is Fire and Blood's Varus. Well, he's he's Varus and Littlefinger at the same time. Littlefinger, L, Varus, push them together, you get Laris. That one seems pretty, pretty on the nose. Uh, do you think Alice is truly a strong bastard? I would guess that yes, that Alice actually is a member of House Strong. It adds a lot of potential meaning to maybe why she helps Aemond and why she doesn't seem to care that he just murdered the rest of her family, other than the fact that he's holding her hostage. Like it would also help out with the fire plot if Alice has some reason that there's a a dislike of of her by the rest of the Strongs and vice versa based on uh, her being a bastard and maybe related to Lucamore. That would be my I guess. And let's see here. What are your expectations for Alice's? role in fire and blood i we sort of talked about that already do you think she'll ever be defeated i think that's a good question so will alice ever be taken down within the story if i had to guess the way she kind of slinks out of history i would guess that nobody catches her that she just sort of disappears into the woods disappears into like the isle of faces or something like that and nobody knows what happened to her that would be that would be the coolest way for that to happen uh, stonefire 89 says could dunk be related to the strong through her yeah that is a definite possibility i speculated last stream that maybe it's through Harwin that um Harwin may have left some bastards behind King's Landing and that's how Dunk gets there but there's some other possibilities of like the Lostins or the Went there's there's a weird amount of information that could get you to Dunk from the area around Harrenhal I think Harwin is definitely the least tinfoily of them it's like yeah maybe Harwin is left behind a bastard wait a few generations you get Dunk that could work out you don't need to believe anything crazy for that to happen but the other ones are fun too we're all related to Lucamore that's right Sasuke but it is fascinating that supposedly through Aemon one eye and Alice Rivers, there's supposedly this half strong, half Targaryen running around there. And we know from the other half strongs, half Targaryens, that they can be dragon riders. So that is definitely something for George to play with. And definitely as a, a mirror to a character like Jon Snow, like maybe, maybe Alice's child with Aemon would be like John if he grew up knowing who his parents were, that kind of thing, rather than believing he was a Stark. What if he knows the whole time that like Viserys, that he's a prince or that he's the son of a prince, that kind of thing. That would be kind of fascinating. Devoted to Mariah. I don't know. I know this isn't a focus, but I wonder who the Three-Eyed Crow was around this time. Good question. Probably an unnamed character, honestly. We don't know a lot about this time, about anything about the children of the forest are doing, but wouldn't it be kind of fun if Alice Rivers ends up being the Three-Eyed Crow? What if she ends up going beyond the wall and um, goes to what we know is Blood Raven's cave. That'd be kind of cool. If she's actually this magical, wouldn't that kind of work out? Mmm. Lucamore the legend. He Lucamore has some legendary loins, let me tell you. Actually, that's there's one part of that I wanted I'm gonna talk about in a future thing. Amanda and I, Crowfoot's daughter, or Disputed Land, God, she has a lot of names. We talked about how perhaps the Baratheons are related to Lucamore because the bastards, Lucamore's bastards got sent to Storm's End. And then all of a sudden you see the Baratheons becoming these like giant strong like men, especially like the Laughing Storm. Well, the other place they go that we didn't really talk about is Driftmark. I'm wondering about Alan Oakenfist. He certainly seems to have a uh, dunk-like qualities to him. Oh, 150? All right. We got there right at the end. George Hat. Thanks for slamming the like button. You guys, I really do appreciate it. House Rivers for Three-Eyed Crow. That's the history. That's what I want for her in the future. Oh, good call. Uh, Chris, Christina says, if you're near the Isle of Faces, no reason. You have to go up north. Yeah, maybe there's a Three-Eyed Raven beneath the Isle of Faces in the God's Eye. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah, Corlys, I, I really do think that if you want to make Alice a major character, 
or if you want to make her a more secondary character, I think playing up her relationship to the other, the rest of how strong and making a negative one, which is perhaps hinted at based on the, based on her status as the essentially the wet nurse of the castle rather than being like a full member of the family. I think that's a really good way for the writers of that show to try and to try and give her motivations for what she does. Cause as, as we have in fire and blood, there are no reasons given for what she does. It is just recording the actions as they happen. I look like George. I hope not. Do we? Maybe it's that we're both overweight wearing glasses. Let's see here. If I was writing house of the dragon and call me, that is something I would do for Alice Rivers. I think that's definitely something you could focus train conductor. Look, uh, yeah, George loves trains. He also likes ships and especially on the one on fever dragon the river boats he loves those things beard like germ that's a way of saying i have a bad beard because george has a bad if oakenfist is possibly as strong could marilda be one yes indeed and adam oakenfist or and uh, alan valarion or adam no it's alan oakenfist and adam maybe adam and alan are both the strongs too wouldn't that be kind of a fun inversion if the fake valarians if the valarians are actually strongs and then the and then the <laughs> The real Valarians are actually strongs too. No matter what, Corlys can't escape them. That'd be a George thing to do. Oh, you guys need to look up pictures of young George. Oh man, that guy. <laughs> Go look on his website. There's some stuff going on there. He posts them sometimes, him and not Paris. Actually, I should make that a theory. Yeah, that's that actually that works in a very George way. That Corlys maybe tries to get rid of the strong bastards because he doesn't want them to be, he doesn't think there's kin. And then he accidentally elevates actual strongs. That'd be kind of funny. George, I think I should ask him that at an event or something like that. If we ever get them again, that'd be a good one. Last ones you guys got, throw them in the chat. We're going a little bit over again today. Also remember that right after the stream ends, a chapter three with Aziz of History of Westeros for the Dying of the Light read-through is going to go live. Hang on, let me post the link. So if you guys are at the $5 and up level, you'll be able to listen to it. Hang on a second. Uh, just wait till the after the stream. I have to update the settings, but actually, why don't I just do it now? I'm just going to do it live on stream. I'm going to update the settings on this. And then, so this goes out to Maesters and up. All right, there we go. So that's live for chapter three is now live. <laughs> So if you guys are patrons, you guys can go check that out. Chapter two is also up. If you click the thing at Dying of the Light at the bottom, it will take you to a playlist of all of them. If, if you haven't listened to them or if you want to, that kind of thing. There's a whole playlist for you. Uh, what do we have coming up uh, next week? Maybe I'll do another member of House Strong. Maybe Luca Moore. Those are good ones. I don't want to do I don't want to talk about Laris yet because he has such a huge role and I don't really understand him yet. So I'd rather do like a reread or something about that. Looking at Laris to figure out like, what the hell is he doing? If I up my Patreon, will I get the access? Yes, you will. When you become a Maester level patron, it gives you access to all of them, including the, uh, I did some previous uh, patron only content, like with Meat House Man. I also did one with the uh, Sand Kings analyzing those short stories by George. So if you go to that level, you don't just get access to this. You get probably get access to like 15 to 20 hours of content. If you want to do that, I would certainly appreciate it and hope it's a good value for you all. You also get access to the patron Slack where we've been talking about it. And what I have coming up, I'm still working on the next video. It's going to be going to be a, it's going to be a divisive one, maybe. Oh, yes, Mallory, you could drop your House Strong shirt. That's right. Mallory has a secret House Strong shirt on the way. So she's she's been telling me about it for a while and it sounds amazing. It'll be on her uh, web shop when it comes up. So look out for that one. So I think that's probably going to be about it for today. We got to 155 likes. I got 
three super chats. No, actually four. I forgot about James on, on PayPal. I also wanted to say thanks to the new patrons who signed up. Hang on a second. Let me grab their names. I forgot to do this last time. So it was uh, Majorana, Catherine Stamp, Tyler uh, Dowdle, Charboy, Ayla Clayton. Thank you guys all for signing up for my Patreon. And I will see you all next week. Have a good weekend, everybody.